So now we're in the middle of our series called Summer Scriptures, and we're going through the um, we're going through the Lord's uh, sermon that He preached, Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to go into a part about prayer. So the last two weeks have really been talking about being righteous, and we've talked about what does it mean to be righteous, what does it take to be righteous. Um, we, we talked about the idea of righteousness being uh, not just right living, but, but living the way that God wants you to live, right? Everybody's got their own uh, opinion on what right is, but, but God's got his opinion, and that's our desire. And so, so we talked about that the last couple of weeks. But now I want to see what we can do to put that righteousness into action, and, and how does that help us, right? So the Bible says this in James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We've talked about that a lot. But the next part of that verse says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I don't know about you, but I want a powerful and effective prayer life. I do not like the idea of praying to the ceiling. I don't like the idea of praying and nothing happening. How many of you have ever felt like, you don't have to raise your hand because then you might get embarrassed, but how many of you have ever felt like when you prayed, nothing happened? That you're just kind of going through a ritual or a routine. We all have that moment in our life. And listen, I want my prayers to be effective. I've got kids that are turning into teenagers. I've got kids that are, that, that are, are getting, G2's about to go into, uh, he, he's, what are you, a junior this year maybe? Something like that, senior? We don't know. Um, but he's something in high school. He'll be out of high school soon. And it's important for us, like he's going to go off to college and, and, and Colt's about to go into middle school and, and Emma's in high school. Back there, give me a dirty look. And so, um, and so it's important for us. We've got to be praying for our kids. I've got to pray for my marriage. I've got to pray for you guys. And, and I want my prayers to be powerful and effective. I want us to have prayer at church. I want us to have opportunities to pray for you and pray for your needs and, and to believe for miracles, just like that song said. But listen, if we have weak watered down prayers, then what is the point of what we're doing? I want to have powerful and effective prayers. I want to see prayers work. I want to see lives transformed. And so, so James says that the, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And Jesus, for the past two sermons that we've been going through, we've been going through his Sermon on the Mount, and it's all about being righteous. And so I want to see what happens. If we're righteous, how can we pray so that our prayers can be powerful and effective? As a matter of fact, Jesus gives us a model prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And, and we're going to look at it real quick. It's in Matthew chapter 6. Verses 9 through 13. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Here's what the Bible says. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So as I was reading through that, I began to think, what is it that, that makes this prayer a model prayer? What is it that's important in this prayer? And how can I uh, apply this prayer to my life? Is this just a routine prayer that I need to go through? Some people read, read this and, and that's what they think. They, their, their mindset is, and it's not bad, but their mindset is, if I just kind of go through the ritual of our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. As it is and, and we kind of go through that ritual and we say, okay, I did my prayer. But in reality, does that, really, does that really feel like a powerful and effective prayer? To me, it doesn't. I want to see, we talked about last week, uh, the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. So if I look at this as the letter of the prayer versus the spirit of the prayer, I'm going to see two different things. 
And so today what I want us to do is I want us to look at the spirit of the prayer, not just the letter of the prayer. Okay, can we do that? And so the way we're going to do that is we're going to use Jesus' other words in these passages. So we're in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to to go through uh, Matthew chapter 6 into Matthew chapter 7. That's going to be where we're going to find all the things that Jesus teaches us about this prayer. And so the first thing that he teaches us is this. And we're going to break down each little part of this prayer. The first thing you need to know is that my prayer, a powerful and effective prayer life, is relationship-driven, not status-driven. Think about this for a second. It's relationship-driven, not status-driven. There are tons of status-driven prayers out there. All you got to do is you got to watch every inauguration of a president. Someone's going to get up and pray, right? They're going to get up and pray. And, and I'm not judging those guys. I'm not saying that they're bad people when they get up and pray. It may be great Christians, but I feel like a lot of times presidents just prop somebody up there to say a little prayer just to get to the next thing. And the prayer doesn't have any power or effect behind it. It's status driven. It's all about, hey, let's just do what we're supposed to do. Let's do something that people can see. Uh, how many times have people prayed and, and, and they don't ever pray in private, but they love to play, pray in public, right? And it's a status driven prayer. And, and so the thing Jesus does is this. He starts his model prayer off with our father. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The first words there are our father, which is perfect for today being Father's Day. But here's the thing that you got to ask yourself before you start any prayer. Who are you praying to? Who are you praying to? God has to be established right from the beginning as the father. He's got to be established right from the beginning as your father and my father. My prayer is not effective if I'm praying to the ceiling. My prayer is not effective if I'm praying to, uh, to this, this invisible uh, judge who's ready to just crush me at any moment. My prayer is not effective if I'm praying to the big man upstairs. It's not effective if I'm praying to an old man with a white beard. Like, those are not the people I'm praying to. I have to begin my prayer by praying to my father. Why? Because it's a relationship thing. It's a relationship thing. And Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, he expounds on this. And here's what he says. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they can be seen by others. It's a status prayer. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and look at the wording. He starts using the word father here and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I want you to notice something. He doesn't say pray to my father like it's somebody else. He's saying you pray to your father. Jesus says God is father for all of us. And we have to establish him from the beginning as a good father that loves us. Why do I have to establish him as a good father? Does that mean that everything he does for me is good? It does mean that everything he does is good, but it doesn't mean that everything he does for me I like. Right? Why? Because a good father is going to discipline. A good father says no a lot. Good father doesn't always say yes. I, I see people that, you know, we, we watched uh, a movie one time called Yes Day. And the whole thing, the whole premise was you, the parents have to say yes to everything. And I was like, I told Perry, I said, that would be fun for about two hours. But to say yes to everything all day, I know my kids. 
And my kids would, would do terrible things. Like, they would just make us do really bad stuff. It, it's, you can't say yes to everything. A good father says no a lot of times. And sometimes we get mad at God the Father because he tells us no. We get mad at God the Father because he disciplines us. But we need to establish right from the beginning, God, you are the Father. So before I pray, whatever it is I'm going to pray, before I pray over my meal, before I pray for my finances, before I pray for my family, before I pray for my future, whatever it is I want to pray, I need to establish from the beginning who you are to me. Because if you're not my father, the rest of my prayer doesn't matter. I've got to establish right from the get that you're my father. And Jesus says so. He says, your father. Verse 7. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Why? For your father knows what you need before you ask him. In other words, the, the, the more volume, not, in, not volume like decibels, but volume as in amount of prayer, doesn't really make a difference to God. He doesn't need to hear every word you know. You don't have to pray to him in King James Version, right? He just wants to hear what is it that you need, because he already knows what you need. He just wants to have a conversation with you. There's plenty of times that my kids come to me, because um, Perry will warn me ahead of time, Right? Perry will warn me ahead of time. So the other day, G2 wanted to go somewhere, and I was on the phone with Perry, and she said, yeah, Gabriel's asking to go somewhere. I don't know what it was, bowling or whatever. And so she hung up the phone, and immediately G2 calls me, and I answer the phone. I say, no, you cannot go bowling. He's like, how did you know I was going to ask that? I was like, I know everything. You know what I mean? I am the father. No. Um, and, and, so, and, and so the idea is God already knows what you're going to ask. Listen, I may already know what he wants to ask me, but I still want to hear, hear him ask me. I still want to have a conversation with him. Why? Because he's my son and I love him very much. And I'm either going to tell him yes or no. But to me, the yes or no, is, is, it doesn't really matter that much as, it, as much as it matters the conversation that I have with him. God already knows, but he wants to know that, that he's your father. He didn't need a lot of words. And then if we skip down to Matthew 6, uh, 16 and 18, he's still talking about the same aspect. He says, and when you fast, because fasting is part of prayer, right? And we teach fasting. We think it's important for us to set aside something that's important to us, like food or, or really television or, or social media or whatever the case is. It's important for us to set some things aside sometimes so we can focus and spend time with God. It's important for us to, to, to hurt our, um, our, our, our soul, our emotions, our, 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 our feelings a little bit so that our spirit man can get stronger. And so here's what he says. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others. But your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus says in your prayer and your fasting, you shouldn't do it for status. It's not about what everybody else thinks. It's not about what everybody else sees. Well, Gabriel, what does that mean about, you know, at the end of the service, you always ask us to come down for prayer when people are seeing that prayer. It's a, it's a different dynamic when it comes to that. What I'm talking about is people that walk around and they, someone says, hey, would you like to go eat lunch? Oh, no, brother, I'm, I'm fasting this week and, uh, oh, I just don't think I can make it any further. What you've just done is you're showing off your fasting, right? You're showing off your fasting. Jonathan's laughing. He knows people like that. Um, And so it's important for us. The Bible says, listen, it's not about what you do in public. It's not about what you do for other people to view you. I I used to hate it, man, whenever I would I would have uh, uh, friends and and, 
I know I'm going to make fun of my own people here, but uh, friends that are pastors, and, and you may know pastors like this, and I hope to God I never act like this. If I do, please just slap me right across the face. But, but well, not you. You'll do it for any reason. But, um, but I've seen people do this, and, and, and you'll, you'll be talking to them normal, and they're talking about basketball and football, and they're just hanging out, and yeah, we went hunting, and we're driving cars, and just, just talking normal. And then all of a sudden, someone says, well, pastor, would you mind praying over the meal? Because if y'all didn't know this, when we're in public as pastors, everybody asks us to pray, as though you don't know how. But I promise you, you can pray too. We'll be at the gym and they'll be doing a competition and they'll say, let's pray before this competition starts. Where's Gabriel? And I'm, I'm in the back, like hiding, you know, like just ask someone else to pray. But anyways, uh, but you ask a pastor to pray and they'll be talking just like this and just all normal, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden, pastor, will you pray? Let us bow our heads, brothers. And I'm like, bro, don't be, don't act like that. I also, on the flip side, had a pastor one time, uh, a youth pastor one time, that, that got up and, and someone asked them to pray. And, and he was at a big youth event. And the first thing he said was like, yo, Jesus, my homeboy, how you doing today? I just want to come talk to you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. No, Jesus is not your homeboy, my friend. Like, like he, he's the father. We treat him with respect. We pray to him. We talk to him like we would anybody else. But listen, we don't do it so what other people will think about us. We don't want people to think we're cool because of our prayer. They can think you're cool because of your shoes. They can think you're cool because of your haircut or lack of hair or your big muscles sticking out of your shirt, Sean. But whatever the case is, whatever the case is, we don't want them thinking that we're cool because of our prayer life. Does that make sense? So Jesus says, you start off with our father. The next thing, the next thing that a powerful prayer life is, is it's rooted in trust. A powerful, a, a powerful and effective prayer life is always rooted in trust. And here's what the Bible says. Listen to this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to stop right there. Let's break that down for just a second. Look at the words. So he says, our Father. We've established he's his Father. Where is our Father? It wasn't a trick question. In heaven, Right? Everybody's like, no, I ain't answering that. I know what you're about to do. Uh, No, it says our Father in heaven. Think about this for a second. Whenever we say our Father in heaven, we are putting our Father in a place of a different perspective than we're in. It doesn't say our Father who's standing right next to us. Now, we understand God is omniscient, uh, omnipresent. We understand that God is with us. We understand that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. So, yes, God can see the way we see, but... He is also in heaven where he is above us and he can view us from a different perspective. He views our life and our troubles and our path from a different perspective than we view it. I only see from my perspective. I only see what's in front of me. I can't see what's coming next, but God can see all of it. Why? Because he's our father in heaven. So when I pray to him, I'm praying. I establish first and foremost, God, you are my father. You are, I have a relationship with you. But then the next thing I want to establish is you have a different perspective than I have. And so before I ask you for a miracle, before I ask you for guidance, before I ask you for a plan, I need to understand that you're going to see things differently than I see them. And that's okay because I want to trust in your perspective. So we've got to trust in his perspective. When I was a kid, um, I used to play with ants in the backyard, right? Everybody did, probably. No, Lexi did not play with ants. You grew up sheltered. And um, so I was in the backyard. I'd be playing with ants. And you'd always find an ant bed. 
And then I wanted to feed the ants, right? And so I would get some kind of food, and I would throw it out on the ground somewhere, and then um, I would try to lead the ants to the food. Like, that was my goal, is can I get these ants to eat that apple, right? And so, so what I would do is I would take a stick, and I would start, you know, of course you mess up their house, and then they get mad, and they all start coming out. But um, don't worry about that part. But then I would start, like, guiding and directing the ants, and then I would be like, I wonder if I can get them to go down into this trench and come back up. So I'd dig a little trench, and I'd start making the ants, and they'd go down in the trench and come back up. And eventually the ants would make it to the food. Now listen, if, if you're looking at that story from the ants' perspective... It's got to be terrible. This giant just ruined my house and made me leave the comfort of my home. And then he made me go around these sticks. And everywhere I tried to go, the giant stopped me and made me go a different direction. And then he stopped me and made me go a different direction. And this giant keeps leading me all the places I don't want to be. And then eventually he led me to a feast. And isn't that what God does with us? Sometimes he has to stir up our house a little bit to get us out of our comfort zone. To say, hey, you, you don't need to be here anymore. I need you to move. I need you to get out of here. I need you to go do something. I, I need you to stop sitting on the padded pews. I, I might need you to get out of your comfort zone a little bit and go help Sophia upstairs or go help the, the, the nursery in the back. I might need you to get out of your comfort zone and go talk to someone at your work and tell them about me. I might need you to get out of your comfort zone and go do something different because I've got a different perspective than you do. And what you see is something I don't really want to do. I'm seeing as there's a buffet coming up. There's a feast over here, but I got to get you to the feast. Paul said, we tried to go into Asia to to preach the gospel and the Holy Spirit kept stopping us everywhere we went. He stopped us so that we would go the right direction. And that's what God is doing with us. His perspective is different than our perspective. He views us from heaven down. And so he knows where he wants us to go. It's just a matter of getting us there. So when I pray, I establish that he is my father. I have a relationship with him. And then I also have to establish in my own mind, in my own heart, that he's got a different perspective than I have. Why? Because I need to trust his perspective because my prayer has to be rooted in trust. The other thing it says is, um, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Listen, the, the, the word hallow there means to acknowledge value, to acknowledge value to something. The word name there means authority and character. And so what we're saying here is this, whenever we say hallowed be your name, I know that's an old school way of saying stuff. And I don't expect any of us to pray that, to, to literally say hallowed be your name. But in your heart, the spirit of the prayer is this. Not only do I trust in his perspective, but I also have to trust in his character. I have to put value and and, um, I have to acknowledge value in his character. Why? Because as I'm praying, I need to know who God is. Not only is he my father and I have a relationship with him, but I need to understand his character. And I think that's the thing a lot of people miss in the Bible is they don't understand the whole story. They read little snippets here and there. and, And while that's good, they don't understand the truth of who God is. And so whenever they just read little snippets or they just hear from their past about how God is an angry God and he hates you. And and then all of a sudden that's that's the character that they have and they can't they can't acknowledge value in that character. So their prayer is messed up. Why? Because they don't understand the character of who God is. So Jesus says. You've got to establish who he is. He's your father. But then you also have to trust. You've got to trust in his perspective. You've got to trust in his character. And then it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This this is a place of trust, but it's trusting in his plan. Now listen, he doesn't need you to pray that his will be done. Right? He's God. He's not sitting around going, man, 
I really want to perform a miracle today, but Jay just won't pray for my will. I keep waiting on Jay to do something, and Jay has me hamstrung today. He's God, you can't hamstring him, right? But, but listen, what it is, is whenever I pray, God, your will be done, what am I saying? God, your will be done in my life. I'm acknowledging the fact that you've got a will, you've got a plan, you've got a kingdom, and it's all bigger than me, and it's all better than me, and it's all better than my own plans, and I am going to trust in your plan. I'm going to trust in your perspective, I'm going to trust in your character, and I'm going to trust in your plan. And then the last thing he says is, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, I want to trust in your provision. I want to trust in your provision. I I love the fact that... that, um, I was reading, I was doing some studying on this, and one of this, this old writer said this. He said, we ask God, and we ask and we believe God to meet our needs, not our greeds, right? Meet our needs and not our greeds. Here's the cool thing about this part of the prayer, is it shows that God cares about the mundane. It says our daily bread. He doesn't say our, our stock market. It doesn't say, uh, uh, God, for my, for my retirement account. It doesn't say, uh, God, I, I really want a Lamborghini. It doesn't say any of those things, Right? It says our daily bread, just the everyday, mundane, I, God, I just, I trust in you that you're going to provide everything I need every single day. That tomorrow I'm going to have new needs, but today I just need you to provide what I need today. And tomorrow will take care of itself, but today I need today. And, and I love that about God. And so, so if you read, uh, if you read, so, so we've got the Lord's Prayer as the middle of all that we're saying today. So if you keep going down, if we skip down to verse 19... I'll try to read through this pretty quickly, but here's what it says. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let let me just say this. When he's talking about laying up treasures somewhere, um, let me me just mention this. There's going to come a day when you're going to die and I'm going to die. And nobody is going to care how much money was in our bank account when we die. Nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to know. Like, that won't be remembered. I'm only saying that I I believe in retirement accounts. I I put money in a retirement account. I put money in a savings account. Um, We we pay off our debt. We, you know, we're we're almost debt-free. Our house is almost paid off. Like, like our goal is, is, is to be financially sound, obviously. But at the end of the day... Jesus says, if, if all you're concerned about is your treasure on earth, moth and rust is going to get that. Like, eventually, that stuff's going to be gone and nobody's going to care. My friend Tommy um, passed away uh, earlier this year, and um, he was in his 60s. It was sudden. It was, a, it was a freak thing when Tommy died. And can I tell you something? I have no idea what was in his bank account when he died. I don't know. I don't care. I don't know what kind of shoes he had on. I don't know what kind of car he drove. I don't know how big his house was. You know what I know? I know the impact that Tommy made on my life uh, 20 years ago when I was first getting into the ministry. And he would call me into his office and he would sit me down and we would have conversations about ministry and about life and about marriage. I I know the impact he made at an Outback Steakhouse whenever he and his wife brought me and my... um, well, fiance then, um, Perry, brought us to Outback Steakhouse one time and just sat down for hours and just talked to us about what does it mean to be married and what does it mean to love your wife and what does it mean to love your husband. And um, those are the things I remember about Tommy was the impact he made in my life. Those are treasures that are stored up in heaven because my life is different today because of what one man did. So, yes, have a bank account. Yes, have a savings. Yes, have a retirement. But don't forget that Jesus says you've got to store up treasures in heaven too. 
There's little kids, I'm going to keep harping on it because it's Father's Day, and we all have to be fathers and mothers to the kids in this church. But there's little kids that walk through our doors, and you don't know their story. Sophia and I were talking about camp, and I, and I just said, I said, Soph, I can't get up and tell people the stories of the kids, the stories that I know. I said, but, but if people understood the stories of the kids that walk through those doors, we, we would have to turn them away from helping. Because someone's got to love on these kids. Show them Jesus. Sorry, that was way off. He says, uh, um, let's skip down to verse 24. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either hate the one and love the other. We'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink or what your body, uh, what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither, neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they are? When you start getting worried and you start getting anxious and you can't really trust, remember that God takes care of the birds. He takes care of the grass. He takes care of the flowers. He he takes care of everything. Don't you think you're more valuable than a bird? Don't you think you're more valuable than a lily? You are to God. So don't worry. Instead, we have to trust. We trust Him. What do we trust? We trust in His provision. We trust in His perspective. We trust in His character. We trust in His plan. The Bible says this in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day in its own trouble. Trust is a major factor in belief. When you believe someone, you trust that person. If you don't trust that person, you won't ever believe what they say, right? My daughter has a terrible habit of of um, wanting to do trust falls. She believes in her dad. She believes her dad loves her, and she believes her dad will never let her hit the floor. The problem is she never warns me when she does a trust fall. So it's a little bit on her, right? But we'll be in the kitchen, or we'll be walking, and, and we'll be in Washington, D.C., going and looking at monuments, and Emma get in front of me and just go, trust fall, and just start falling. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, stop it. And, and, and so, but the, the idea is that she trusts, she trusts that dad can keep her from hitting the ground. She doesn't realize how old and broken I am. One day I'm going to let her hit the ground. I'm not God. I'm not God. Um, And so she needs to understand that too. So it's an important factor that you trust someone, you're going to believe in them. If you believe in God, you're going to trust him with everything. The third thing that a a prayer of a righteous and powerful, effective prayer is going to be, it's going to be um, forgiven and compassionate prayer. It's going to be a forgiven and compassionate prayer. In, in our prayer, it says, and forgive us our debts, Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says this. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Ooh, this is tough. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Listen, the Bible says this. If you're not willing to forgive someone else, don't expect God to forgive you. Why? Because God doesn't want you to just be uh, a forgiving, I mean, a forgiven person, he wants you to be a forgiving person, right? He wants you to have that, that's got to flow both directions. Forgiveness, uh, we talked about this when we were talking about blessed are the, are the merciful, right? Because they will receive mercy. Mercy is cyclical. Whenever I receive mercy, now I give mercy. And then I receive more mercy and I give more mercy. And I receive more mercy and I give more mercy. Do you see how that works? It's a cycle that continues to happen. And so we need to understand that. In Matthew chapter 7, Uh, Verse 1, it says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. you, uh, Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? I I love the way Jesus talks here. 
How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What Jesus is saying here is this, is we become so judgmental that whenever we go into our prayer, yes, we're establishing that he's our father, and yes, we establish that we can trust him in all these different areas, but then the next thing we do, if we start praying and we start uh, saying, well, I can't pray for that person because that person is such a jerk and they're so mean to me, and, and, and we've got this bitterness in our hearts towards someone else, can I tell you something? We're not going to be heard. Our prayers will not be powerful. They will not be effective if we're harboring bitterness towards someone. And you may say, but Gabriel, you don't know what that person did to me. You don't know how they abused me. You you don't know how they manipulated me. Listen, I totally get it. People are terrible and stuff like that happens. I'm not saying that forgiveness means you got to be best friends. I'm not saying that forgiveness means that you got to forget everything that they did because the truth is you're not going to forget it. What I'm saying forgiveness is, is you got to release them. And say, I'm not going to be bitter towards you. I'm not going to hate you. I'm not going to constantly dwell on this. At some point, I've got to release you. Why? Because I need God to release me. There are areas of my life where I need mercy. And I need compassion. And I need forgiveness. In Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Em, I don't know if I gave you this one or not, but it's, I'm going to read it. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, or his ear dull that he cannot hear. In other words, God has all the power to save and to hear. He can do it. Verse 2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear you. In other words, what he's saying here is, listen, God's got all the power to do everything you ask him to do. But the problem is, when you're so full of sin and you're not willing to repent of your sin, don't expect God to hear it. So not only do we have to release other people, but we need to ask God to forgive us. The Bible says, forgive us our debts. It's talking about sins as we forgive those um, uh, who, who are our debtors. Those who have sinned against us. God, forgive me of my sins. I'm going to forgive the people that sinned against me. And it's going to be a cycle that I'm going to have to roll through. Then he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now listen, we know that God doesn't lead us. um, God doesn't tempt us. We get that. James tells us that later on in the Bible. We understand that. But but here's the idea. Temptation here, um, another word for this temptation is not necessarily sin as much as it is like a test or a trial. And and so what what Jesus is saying here is, listen, there there are times whenever we're going to have to go through tests and trials. We all get that. But Jesus is saying here, it would be similar to... The idea, like, let's say I'm, I, I always use donuts as my example. I love donuts so much, right? I mean, literally, as I, was, as I was writing this sermon, I was thinking about donuts. My mouth starts watering. My mouth's watering right now. I love donuts, but right now I'm not eating donuts, and so it's very difficult for me. So, so here's what I have to do. I have to avoid certain things, right? I have to avoid certain things. And, and so it would be like me telling Perry... Perry, listen, we're going to go on vacation, and when we go on vacation, you know I don't, I, I'm not eating donuts right now, so please, don't, don't even take me to a donut place. Like, if you say you want coffee, that's fine, let's go to Starbucks, but don't go to the donut place, because you know what's going to happen, I'm going to want the donuts, and then it's going to be a battle in my mind, and I'm going to eat a donut, and I'm going to feel bad about eating it, you get what I'm saying? So in our prayer, it is this. It is, God, listen, you know there's some areas in my life I've just talked to you about my sin. I've just talked to you about these other people. Listen, there's, there's this guy at my work, God, and, 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 and I, I want to forgive him, and I want to release him, and he did some terrible things. And, but listen, today, can you just, man, today, can you just not lead me to him? Today, I, I just need a break from this guy. Just don't lead me into that trial. Don't lead me into that temptation today. 
And there may be times when you're going to have to confront them. There may be times when you have to be a part of them. But the prayer here is this idea of, God, just deliver me from that evil. Deliver me from that, from that issue. Help take that away from me. The last thing is this, and this is where we're going to end the message today, is a powerful and effective prayer. It's two words. They kind of rhyme. Persistent and consistent. A powerful and effective prayer is persistent and consistent. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, uh, verses 7 through 11. He also says this, Luke also quotes him as saying the same thing. Um, Luke throws a little extra in on the end that I really like, but here's what Matthew says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For anyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asked him for bread, would give him a stone? If his son asked for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? The words there, ask, seek, and knock, um, especially when it uses the S, it's a, it's a Greek term, sorry, it's a Greek term that, that is a... Um, I can't think of what it's called. It's like, it's like progressive, present tense. Uh, it's a pro- something like that. Anyways, what it means is this. It means to do it and then continue to do it. It's the same verbiage that's used when it says uh, in, in like John three sixteen when when the Bible talks about um, anyone who believes on him will be saved. It, it doesn't mean that you believe one time. It doesn't. That that's where we get uh, we get messed up sometimes in our belief system that we think salvation is because I came to the altar one time when I was twelve years old and I said I believe and then I just do whatever I want after that. The the wording there in the Greek actually means to believe and go on believing. That every day I believe in Christ, every day I live for him, every day I trust him. And the same is true here. When it says ask, seek, and knock, it, whenever it uses the plural, what it's meaning there is whoever goes on asking, whoever seeks and then continues to seek, who, whoever knocks and then continues knocking, right? Have you ever been to someone's house and you're trying to get in and they won't answer the door and you just knock and you knock and you knock and you knock? Or if you are the parent of a teenager and they lock their door or they lock the bathroom door and you got to get in and they're in the shower and you knock and you knock and you knock and then you start kicking, right? Why? Because I want someone to hear me on the other side. What Jesus is saying here is, listen, if you want a powerful and effective prayer life, here's something you need to learn how to do. You need to learn how to seek and keep seeking. Ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't stop. As a matter of fact, in Colossians 4, 2, it says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The word steadfastly there means to attend constantly, to persevere, to persist. Sometimes we think, I'm going to make God mad if I just keep asking the same thing over and over. You're not going to make God mad. You're not going to make God mad. Sometimes God wants to see our perseverance. Are you willing to keep knocking? Are you willing to keep praying for that kid that's lost for for the next 20 years of your life? Are you willing to put in the work and the effort to see the prayer come to fruition? There's a picture. uh, I think I've got it up here. Can you show me that picture, M? Do you have it? Look at this. This is a guy. You've seen this before. This is old. A lot of people use this. But it's two men, and they're both digging for diamonds, right? And you see the you see the diamonds right there on your right, but you see the guy at the top. I mean, he is just steady digging, digging, digging. But you see the guy on the left. He quit just before he hit the diamonds. He got worn out. He was so close, and he just gave up. 
The idea in my prayer life is I don't want to give up when I'm right there at the diamonds. There's a, there's a passage of scripture I want to read to you. It's out of 1 Kings chapter 18. And this is how we'll end the message today. Uh, we, we are going to have prayer at the end. We're going to keep doing that. Like we're going to have a prayer team down front. If you need prayer today for whatever you, you have, it doesn't matter what it is, we're going to pray. Why do we do that? Because, Gabriel, I mean, last week, nobody came down for prayer. It doesn't matter about nobody coming down for prayer. The idea is we want to be persistent and consistent. And if you have to come down for the same prayer every single week, we're going to be persistent and consistent. We're going to get to the diamonds, right? So here's what, here's what happens. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 42 through 44... This, the country has been through a drought for three years. No rain for three years. And it was Elijah, Elijah's fault. He's the one that prayed it, right? God said, Elijah, pray and shut up the heavens. He did, and it stopped raining. It's a funny story. Like, if you, if you ever read the Bible from, I guess from my perspective, is a weird perspective. But when I read the Bible, I think about the humor in it. And I always think it's funny that if you read the story of Elijah, he prayed for God to shut up the heavens. He performs this awesome miracle. The heavens are shut, no rain. And then, and then God miraculously gives him a river, puts him by a river to sustain him. But the rain that he told to stop ended up the river dried up too. And I think it's funny. Sometimes the things we pray for may end up coming back on us a little bit, right? But we got to learn how to trust God. But here we're at the end of the three years. And, and um, so it says that Ahab went up to eat and drink. Don't worry about Ahab. He doesn't matter. It says Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down to the earth, put his face between his knees. What is he doing? He's praying. This is a stance of prayer. Whenever we read about powerful and effective prayers, Elijah is the name that comes up. If I would have kept reading in James where he says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, whenever he, if you continue reading, he talks about Elijah's prayer. He talks about this story. So, so he bowed himself to the earth, put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, go up and look towards the sea. And so the servant went up and he looked and he said, there's nothing. Nothing happened. Your prayer was terrible. And he said, go up again. And Elijah, the Bible says, did that seven times. Seven times. We don't know how long it took, but we know it took seven times. Elijah kept praying. Go look. Nothing. Okay. Pray. Go look now. Nothing. Okay. Pray one more time. Go look. Seven times. Seven times he could not get anything to happen. Seven times he came down to the front at the end of service and prayed with with Pastor Mike and nothing happened. Seven times he was at home writing in his journal saying, God, we've got to have a miracle. We've got to have healing. We've got to have whatever. And seven times and nothing happened. But check this out. Verse 44. And at the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. One of my favorite stories. We're so used to this microwave gospel that the first time I pray, a miracle happens immediately. Does that happen in the Bible? Absolutely, it happens in the Bible. But here's one thing I want you to notice. Jesus performs a whole ton of miracles, but he also spends a ton of time alone on a mountaintop praying. 
Who knows that Jesus wasn't digging like our picture. He's digging every night on the mountaintop and no miracles are happening. Nothing's going on. Nobody's getting healed. Nobody's, when he's on the mountaintop, it's just him digging away. And then he steps down off the mountaintop and someone brings him a demon-possessed boy and he lays his hands on him and the wall breaks through and the diamonds come out and he's made it. But, but everybody views it as, oh, it's this microwave, fast, quick thing that happened. No, 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 no. It wasn't quick. There was nothing quick about Jesus. The Bible said he walked slowly. He took his time. There was nothing fast about what Jesus did. Jesus spent a whole lot of time digging before he ever hit the diamonds. And what we want is we want, if I can just get the right guy to pray for me, if I can just get somebody to do this, if I can just get to that church or that altar or that thing, and then all of a sudden it's going to happen. No, 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 no. You need to understand it takes persistence and it takes consistency to get to the diamonds. You keep praying, you keep asking, you keep knocking, you keep seeking. I love that Elijah said, I'm going to pray and you go look for the miracle. Is it there? Nope. Okay. Let's do it again. We'll just keep doing it. We'll just keep doing it. It's okay. We're all good. We'll just keep practicing. We'll keep going through it. We'll keep trying. And then I love the fact that whenever he did see the miracle, he saw it way far away. Listen, it ends up being a huge storm that comes in and floods the place, right? Like it's a big, massive storm that rolls in and brings the rain. But when they first saw it, it was so far away. And I think sometimes for us, again, we want God to answer that prayer right now. And God's saying, I'm viewing this from a different perspective. And I want you to keep praying because I know where the cloud is. And the cloud is way far away right now. But I promise you the cloud's coming. But I need you to keep praying. I need you to keep seeking. I need you to keep knocking. I need you to keep asking. Because eventually you're going to see that cloud. And that cloud may be little. The miracle, the, 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 the transformation, the thing that you're praying for, it may be really little at first. It may be the size of a man's hand. But it's going to turn into a storm. If you do what? If you keep praying. Don't you stand up with me today? We've got some folks that are going to come down to the front. Their whole goal today is not to perform a miracle. Their goal today is just to pray with you. Their goal today is just like Elijah and his servant, that there was two of them there. And one of them was praying and the other one was looking. And my goal for you today, there's some of you, you're the one looking. You're, you're the one seeking. You're the one knocking. You're the one asking. And you just need someone to pray with you. You don't need them to be special. You don't need them to be uh, uh, someone that's, that, that that's, knows all the Bible. You just need someone that's willing to stand with you and say, I'll pray with you. I'll hold your hand. I'll put my arm around you. So today we want powerful and effective prayers. We're going to bow our heads right now, and Jonathan, uh, Pastor Jonathan is going to lead us in a song, but I want to pray over you, and, um, and, and once I release you today, once I pray, if you need prayer for anything, you come down to the front and let someone pray with you today. If you don't need prayer, if you're done, and you want to slip out, you're more than welcome to, but I want to pray over you right now. God, I just pray over this room. God, our goal today is not just to be a church. Our goal today is to be a church of people that have uh, powerful and effective prayers. 
God, I want our prayer life, I want my prayer life to make a difference. We want to be the kind of people that are willing to knock and seek and and ask until we get to the diamonds, God. We want to put our trust in you. And there may be some of us today that our trust is failing us. There may be some of us today that we've got a little bit of fear and a little bit of doubt. And James says, don't pray with doubt. If you want to see, a, if you want to see an answer, you've got to pray with faith. You've got to pray, pray with trust. Maybe some of us today, we don't have a, you established as our father. And we need to establish you as father today. Maybe you're not serving Jesus today and you need to do that. You need to get your heart right. These, these folks down front will pray with you today. So God, I just pray for us right now that you would make, peop- make us people of prayer. Jesus, you said in your word that my house will be a house of prayer. And so I just pray that we would be that. That this week we would pray different than we've ever prayed before. We would pray according to your model, not our own. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer this morning, we're going to open up this area. If you need prayer, slip out of your seat. Come down to the front. If not, you're free to be dismissed today.